Uh, we're in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, and Pastor Rick is here with us this morning. Uh, but uh, we're going to switch out, and uh, there's a, 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 a service that he's going to do in February when he really doesn't have any time to prepare for it. And so I, he got this week to prepare for that message, and I took this one this week, so that's why we're doing this. Um, this passage is about the power of the gospel to change lives. And what I would like to uh, ask you to do this morning is to stop and think about that time when the gospel touched your heart and changed your life. And for me, that was when I was 17 years old. I was a high school student in Turtle Lake, North Dakota, and it was in the gymnasium of our school, and I'm sitting on the, the bleachers in that high school gymnasium, and Lowell Lundstrom, I know how many of you know who he is, uh, he's an old preacher now, but uh, he was uh, in his heyday back then in 1972. And he came to Turtle Lake, North Dakota, and the, gymnami- the gymnasium was packed out with small-town people. And uh, he gave a good old-fashioned gospel message that touched my heart. And I remember sitting on that, that, those bleachers, uh, kind of wrestling with God, and he was inviting people to come forward and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and I was having a kind of a little wrestling match with God. And then it was like, nah, you know, was, I kind of threw down what I had in my hand. And I stood up and I headed running to the front. And uh, I prayed there and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I would say that uh, that was a very huge emotional experience for me. It really uh, just shook me right to the very, to my toes from the top of my head. Uh, it touched me emotionally, but that's not the most significant thing that happened to me that day. There were some things that were fundamentally changed about me that day. That before I was a person that didn't know where I was going or what I was for or what I was supposed to do. I was a person who was very insecure and very uncertain about uh, what my life was about. And from that point forward, I knew exactly what my life was for. And I've never doubted it since. I've always known, I mean, that my sense of security, my sense of who I am and what I am for and what life is all about was answered on that day and has been answered ever since for me. And a great comfort and uh, strength in what Jesus Christ has done in my heart to give me a, a crystal clear vision for my entire life and what He wants me to do. That's what I was. That's what happened to me. And that's what I've become. And it's because of that touch on my life that day that the entire direction of my life has changed. And it's led to my being in the ministry, but it wouldn't have mattered what job I have or or, uh, what occupied my time. Jesus Christ touched my life in a way that left me uh, forever, literally forever, different. Now, I invite you to remember that moment. And I just want to stop and just be silent for a minute. And if you would, I don't mean to be gimmicky, but if you would just close your eyes and just remember that time for yourself. What were you? What happened? And what have you become? passage today is the Bible's model of what confession is all about. 
our, what conversion is all about. And Paul is our example of uh, what God can do in a person's life. And he was an extreme example. This passage, Paul's going to say that he was the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. And uh, this great, great sinner, uh, God turned into one of the greatest of saints. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Start with verse 12 and let's read it together. Uh, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me faithful, appointing me to His service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man or a violent aggressor. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now if you want to note the context, look back at verse 11. Uh, Paul's been talking about the gospel and he says that uh, in verse 11 um, and, and uh, verse 10, and for whatever else contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. And so Paul is, has been talking about the gospel and as he's describing the gospel and talking about the relationship of the law to the gospel, uh, he breaks out here in a spontaneous praise. It's a kind of a blurt uh, where he just kind of comes out with this worship statement where he says, and it literally it's, it starts out, thank I. I mean, that's the literal uh, phrase in the Greek. Thank I, Christ Jesus our Lord, uh, as he is expressing his worship to God. In, my, uh, in our discipleship group that meets on Wednesday night, we've been uh, studying and, uh, together, and we did a lesson on worship. And in it, one of the authors, Kent Wilson, had talked about a definition of worship that, that's uh, very holistic and very full. And he, he said there are three parts to worship. There's holiness... There's service and there's praise. And, and right away, uh, that was just two weeks ago, so when I'm reading this passage, I noticed that all, you know, all three of those are there. And the point of that is that worship is a lifestyle. It's a part of who we are and what, how we live. We worship God through our very lives, not just in a service like this, but all through the week in everything that we are. And so here it is in Paul's life. And so Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus who has given me strength, and he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. And so Paul was put in a service because of his faithfulness. And that faithfulness and that service is Paul's worship. It's his life of worship. Who he is and what he does is an act of worship to God. And it said that Paul was changed from uh, ignorant unbelief to faith. And so um, that uh, also it says that he was changed from a murderer to a lover. And so that's holiness. Uh, that's that, that life of holiness, that life change that now typifies his life is the worship that Paul gives to his God. It's the way he lives. It's his lifestyle. And then lastly, uh, Paul's worship is his praise. It's the, the fruit of the lips that offer up a sacrifice to God. And that's what this whole passage is. It's the fruit of lips 
offering up a sacrifice to God. And as our worship team this morning led us through those songs, and if the, the singing comes from the heart and it's an honest expression of how you feel towards God, that's a beautiful offering that God loves to hear. And we worship and we praise Him through those things. And this passage is Paul's offering. It's a blurt. It's a spontaneous expression of Paul's excitement over the, what, what God has done in his life through the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And so literally, again, he says, Thank I that Christ Jesus our Lord, these words come out from the heart, has given me strength and has considered me faithful. Now this blurt of praise was an expression of joy because of the change that God had brought to Paul's life. And he says in verse 13, he starts out and says, Formerly, uh, even though I was once a blasphemer, or formerly I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And so formerly, and Paul likes these triads. He'll often have things in little groups of three. He said, formerly I was these things. And so he was uh, formerly a blasphemer. And to blaspheme is to defame the name of God. Acts 26, Paul in his testimony said that he tried to force Christians to do this, to defame the name of God. And I think the way he was doing that, just as we sang that song, that, uh, that, we, that Jesus, your name is Lord, that Jesus is God, uh, Paul was uh, blaspheming because he was saying that Jesus was not God and he was trying to force others to confess the same thing. And then it says that Paul was a, a persecutor and a violent aggressor of Christians. And so in Acts chapter 7, we see him there at the stoning of Stephen. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says that meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, uh, or Saul, his name was at that time. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, and so it goes on to tell this story. But he was going to uh, literally capture Christians, bind them up, and haul them off as, as prisoners, uh, beat them, I'm sure would, that would be a part of it, just physical, physically abuse these people. Uh, that was Paul's plan, and I think he probably did carry that out with some people at some point in his life. And so Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a, and a violent aggressor. Now, what would you put in those blanks? If you look at your life, the, the person that you were, would it be addiction that you are now free of? Would it be a, a sense of low self-esteem and now you've found your worth in Christ? Would it be that church and the Bible and prayer and all those things are very boring to you and now they're your very lifeblood and you love those things? You love the Word of God dearly. Would it be a broken marriage that is now healed? Would it be lying or cheating? What is it that Jesus Christ has changed in your life? What would you put in those blanks? Paul says that through the power of the gospel, he was changed. And so Acts chapter 9 talks about this Damascus Road experience, so that as, as Paul was traveling to go capture those Christians, Jesus Christ met him there in a powerful way and spoke to his heart on that Damascus road, brought him to his knees. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, no two Damascus roads look the same. Mine was different. All of ours are different. But we all have that moment when Jesus Christ becomes real to us. Sometimes it's a powerful thing that, that knocks you to your knees. 
For me, it was this great emotional thing in a, in a large group with an evangelist who has those gifts. Sometimes it's very quiet, very subtle. But something totally different happens to us as, the, as we surrender to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit enters our life and begins to change us. So Paul was changed from a religious bully. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate bullies. There's a lot of other people I'll forgive. I'll, I'll overlook a lot of people's shortcomings. But it's tough for me to forget a, forgive a bully. I don't like bullies. And I, the one thing I think a bully should get is beat up. If they're beating up on people, somebody should go beat them up and show them what it feels like. It's the best thing you could do to a bully. Paul was a religious bully. God should have beat him up. He didn't do that. He didn't get what he deserved. He got mercy. And he was a deceived fool. He didn't deserve a, a relationship with God. But God poured down on him rich gifts, powerful gifts. So not only did he not get what he deserved to get, he got a whole bunch of stuff he didn't deserve to get, and that's grace. And Paul uses this word hypergrace. That's what he calls it. I got, I got hypergrace, like hyperdrive from Star Trek. This is hypergrace. Super abundant grace was poured down on him. And what were those grace gifts that were given to him? It was faith from an ignorant unbelief. He was changed into a man who now believed the truth about Jesus Christ and his heart was changed. He was excited about it. And he was changed from this religious bully who beat up on people and stood by while Stephen was murdered. And he was changed into the guy that wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And he did that because he knew what love was. And he lived it. And he'd become a lover instead of a bully. Paul's life was changed by the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. And so was mine. Now, I could, now would be a good time to tell some stories about life change, about what God's done in somebody's life, and I could do that, but I think we can do something better. We let somebody else tell their story. So I've asked Gary Furcus. Uh, God's touched his life. We're in a, come on up, Gary. God, um, Gary's in a, the discipleship group that I'm in, and, and uh, when I thought of this passage, I thought of Gary because God did this for him. I cried for him. Good. <laughs> I thought maybe you thought of this because I was a chief of sinners. <laughs> okay. Morning. Um, um, my life before Christ was characterized by my self-sufficiency. You see, I'd grown up without a father or a strong male influence in my life. So self-reliance was what I figured was the only way I could cope. Um, I had had a religious education, but I didn't really know God or the Bible. I learned early on that if I wanted anything, I had to earn it and work for it. In my early 20s, I decided um, that self-sufficiency required a measured and sustained hardening of my heart. I slowly but surely built a barrier around my heart to keep people at arm's length. But God is good, and before my defenses were totally up, um, he brought my future wife into my life. 
And uh, not long after we were married, my wife began a faith search of her own, um, culminating in the faith of Jesus as her Savior. Um, I supported her efforts, but at that time I did not need God in my life. Uh, we moved in this area in 95 and started a family. And seeking a body of believers, my wife uh, began coming to this little church here in Lindstrom. I was uh, quite ambivalent about her going to church. And uh, um, when I did attend service, though, people here uh, reached out to me in friendship and love. But I was unable to uh, um, reciprocate. Yet God had been planting seeds through those people in me, even though I was unaware of it at the time. In, uh, in April of 2004, my wife and I joined with three other couples to do a study of a new book called The Purpose Driven Life. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do this every time I get my testimony. Um, uh, any group setting is difficult for me because I'm kind of a private person by nature. So... Um, but I went, uh, went to the group to please my wife. And uh, we began our study with a getting-to-know-each-other session. And uh, we were to read through days 1 through 7 for the next week's meeting. And at the end of day 7, the author asked if you were willing to believe that God created you for his purposes, that he wants to forgive you and to be reconciled with you, and that the Bible promises to all who received him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if you want to receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. At this point in my life, I could not come up with a reason not to believe and receive. So I prayed, Jesus, I believe in you and I receive you. I was unaware of any change in me at the time. I thought maybe giving it some time was the answer, so I never bothered telling anyone about my decision. And having been blessed with patience, I figured I could wait. Uh, the next week, my wife and I were unable to attend the small group meeting because of an out-of-town commitment. Uh, and it was there that God revealed himself to me. After attending conferences all day, uh, we were sitting around in our hotel room talking about uh, various parts of our day. And I, uh, I casually mentioned to my wife that I had prayed a prayer of salvation. Um, and it was April, this was April 17, 2004. And she was amazed and asked me when I had prayed. And when I told her, she asked me why I had waited to tell her. <laughs> I just, just didn't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and then my wife quoted Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith It is not of ourselves, it is a gift of God <laughs> You see, I thought I could do it my way And I lived my whole life that way But it was not God's way And God wanted me to tell someone of my decision and I'm telling you, bang! Right now. Right now. An immediate change came over me, and my eyes were opened. And I never would have believed it, but confiding in my wife, 
All at once, God tore down all the defenses that I had built over a lifetime. And I was overcome with an overwhelming burden of my sin and of God's mercy and grace in providing a way to save me from this burden of sin through the death of His his Son, Jesus. God's promised in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Became fully true at that moment in my life. The old self-reliant me is gone. The eyes of my heart are open to a whole new life. Um, Before this experience, I didn't know God. And now I have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. Before, I sinned at will. And now that I am aware of my price of my sin, I don't desire to sin. Uh, Before, I was ambivalent or uncaring about people. But now I love people. And uh, before, I never prayed. And now I've experienced answered prayer. Uh, Before, I directed my life. And now I am led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, now my wholehearted desire is to follow the narrow path as revealed in God's Word and to hold God's light and truth up for everyone to see. And so that's why I'm here today. Thank you. that was coming. That's why I was crying before. I <laughs> In verse 15, uh, Paul gives us the example. And it seems that the greater the sinner, the better the saint. Jesus came to save sinners. And so, you know, if you're self-righteous, I don't know that Jesus has much to offer for you. Uh, if you're a lukewarm kind of good person, I'm not sure Jesus has much to offer you either. Uh, if, if we're kind of satisfied with where we're at and we're kind of okay with, with status quo and kind of limping along sort of half good, I'm not sure if this really works. I think that what's required is uh, an honest heart before God that says, I'm lost and it's hopeless and I really, really need you, Jesus. I really need what you've done And I think there's a message for us here. I mean, there's an obvious message for those of you who have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And I'll just lay that out right now. You know, hey, open your heart. It doesn't matter what words you put, how you do it. The most important thing is that you believe in your heart, you're confessed with your lips that Jesus is Lord. You put your trust in His death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. If you know you're a sinner, then you're you're 90% of the way there. Just trust Christ to cover your sins with His blood. And He will do in your life what He's what he's done in so many others as well. So you can do that real easy right now as we pray in just a minute. But for those of us that have been Christians for 25, 30 years, we need to hear this again because the conversion stuff, it didn't end right then. We need this again and again and again. We need this to keep working in our lives. This power of the gospel didn't just stop to get us to heaven. We need it every day of our lives, people. 
And it's time we re-embrace it once again. The power of that gospel, that freshness. And, you know, I'm convicted when I hear Gary talk and meet with him every week. And I see the freshness of that walk with God in his life. It's just a couple of years old. You know, and I'm sad to say that I remember that. But I can't say that I am always experiencing that now as a Christian some 25, 30 years later. And we should. And so we need to be on our knees before God, crying out, Lord, I am a sinner and I am lost and I need you. Reveal yourself to me. Touch my life. Paul finishes this passage up and... Uh, boy, I closed my Bible. It's a, it's a doxology in verse 17. And uh, uh, it goes, uh, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is an expression of worship to God. And, and uh, uh, worship team, you can come on up and get ready. And uh, we'll prepare our hearts in prayer. And then we'll just let the worship team take us, continue in prayer uh, with this old hymn. And we're going to sing this good old-fashioned hymn. But what I'd like you to do as we sing it, let's, uh, let's sing it like a prayer. Let's let it be our expression of praise to our Savior for the incredible power of the gospel and its work in our hearts. Uh, let it be an expression of, of your hearts. You stand and, and uh, let's pray together with me and then they'll continue the prayer uh, to the end of that hymn. Lord Jesus, we come before you and, and if there's anyone here today that's never received Jesus Christ as Savior right now, Open your heart to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I know that. I need Your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, let Your blood cover my sins. Give me mercy and grace. And give me a heart of love and faith as a gift. Open your hearts to Him and just trust Him right now in a prayer. And He will touch your heart. And for those of us who have been Christians for years, we pray, Lord Jesus... We want to offer up our sacrifice of praise, a lip of lips that, that offer this sacrifice of praise to you and thanks for the work that you have done in our hearts. And also, Lord Jesus, we want to confess before you that we, we still need your touch in our heart. Lord, uh, may this be our worship. May this also be our request to you to continue to do powerful things in us.